Support for WERU comes from Penelope Shar, MD, integrative medicine practice in Bangor offering detoxification, intravenous vitamins, bioidentical hormone therapies, and more on the web at optionsinhealing.com or 217-8878. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Rhonda Feynman is up next. Good morning. Welcome to Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Our topic today is breast cancer. I guess Breast Cancer 101 will be uh, looking at um, all sorts of uh, diagnostic and treatment options. But um, with our guest, Elaine Chambers, she's a nurse manager and department head of the Breast and Osteoporosis Center at Eastern Maine Medical Center. She's also a registered nurse and a breast surgical specialist. Elaine Chambers, she has extensive experience in the area of women's health. And since 1992, she's worked in the field of breast health. And among many other credentials and credits, she was a founding member of the Breast Cancer, Maine Breast Cancer Coalition, and also a founding member of the Maine Breast Nurse Network. More recently, she initiated the Eastern Maine Medical Center Breast Surgical Specialist Practice, which offers coordinated care for Mainers facing breast cancer. Elaine Chambers is with us today by phone to talk with us about breast cancer. So welcome to Healthy Options, Elaine Chambers. Oh, thank you, Rhonda. I'm so glad you're here. Um, this thank is, you for having me. This yeah. It's a great topic, and I'm excited to be able to, uh, to be present and talking about it. That's terrific. Um, you know, in my practice, I've been um, noticing more and more women and some men as well um, who have been diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. And I don't know if it's uh, just uh, an isolated thing in my practice, but I have a feeling that uh, all over that, that more and more uh, Mainers and, and people are being uh, affected by, uh, by this diagnosis. And, and I thought it would be good to get some specifics about... Um, uh, what people can be uh, looking at and expecting if they do happen to have a uh, uh, get, have to go down that path of um, of diagnosis. So, what what are you finding is um, the the first the first way in? What what happens if someone is getting this diagnosis? What's the first thing that happens over uh, in in your practice and where you are? Well, I think the first thing that that um you know, begins as people come into uh, the question of do I have a problem or not from a number of different uh, methods. Some, you know, are part of a regular screening uh, process, and uh, so they're doing their due diligence for uh, their their uh, wellness, and uh, something may be identified on a screening mammogram that is a concern. Uh, others may find something on their own. Uh, whether that is some kind of abnormality, um, uh, their breast look, looks different, they're having uh, consistent breast pain or something that is concerning to them, and they go to their primary care provider um, for uh, an exam and, uh, and, and go further for, for whatever is, is recommended. Um, so people come in from a different, different perspective, and uh, the first step is, is always um, imaging after a clinical breast exam from their primary care provider. And uh, imaging often um, starts with mammography, especially for women over 30. Uh, mammography is usually the first step, and then uh, a breast ultrasound um, if indicated based on what 
mammography. Um, for women under 30, uh, 29 and under, oftentimes it's ultrasound first because there's usually a specific item that's being questioned, and then uh, mammography, if, mammography if indicated. So people come in with different things. So they'll come into a diagnostic setting with imaging studies most often, mm. um, age-appropriate imaging studies most often, and uh, that will enhance the questions um, and the plan that goes forward. Uh, if they haven't had those kinds of things, and those are things that are first, that's the first uh, uh, step in getting anything answered is uh, what actually is there, if anything is there, and um, what needs to be done from there. So when you're talking about um, diagnostic uh, clinic or um, going being referred to a, a breast surgeon uh, for an issue, et cetera, uh, then one of the things that they're going to do besides take a thorough breast history and health history um, so they can determine uh, whether you have any risk factors, um, any prior breast history that may um, be of concern, uh, they're going to want to make sure that they have reviewed your imaging studies. Um, so those need to be attainable, and, and they will go over the imaging studies, they'll go over the reports from the radiologist regarding uh, whether it's a mammography or whether it's, it's a uh, ultrasound or an MRI, depending on what's concerning. Uh, that's where it will start, is a discussion, they'll do a breast exam, and they'll determine from there whether a biopsy needs to be done. And if a biopsy needs to be done, then uh, there are a number of options. The best way to have a biopsy, um, you know, from from uh, breast from a breast perspective, from a breast surgeon's perspective, is to have what's called a core biopsy, um, and that's where you're actually going to sample some tissue, and you actually have tissue that is then sent to pathology for evaluation. Uh, sometimes you can you can have um, you know what we call a fine needle aspirate, where they're just taking some cells or something that looks like it might be a cyst, and so they stick a needle in it and try to aspirate fluid, et cetera. But, um, and that's a, that's a great way um, to try to get some information, but a core biopsy is going to give you the most information and the most conclusive. And core biopsies are done um, most often under um, imaging guidance, whether it's ultrasound, um, stereotactic. Stereotactic biopsies are done under mammographic uh, mammography guidance. What, what, what is that? What's a serotactic? Stereotactic. Stereotactic mm -hmm. biopsy is using um, uh, mammography um, uh, imaging and um, basically creating a. Um, you remember your your um, geometry um, X Y Z. Yes, really. Uh, a pi r square things yeah, like that. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> what what stereotactic <laughs> does is it uh, identifies the X and Y, and the radiologist. Um, uh, uh, through uh, a um, biopsy needle is the Z. And so oh. it pinpoints an area that is going to be biopsied. And uh, it's, it's very accurate. It's very fussy. Um, uh, probably the longest part of this procedure is making sure you're in the right, you know, you get the right quadrants in the right area. Um, and the biopsy itself is fairly quick. But uh, uh, if you've got something that's abnormal on a mammogram, and it can't be seen on ultrasound, then what they're going to want to do is a stereotactic breast biopsy. 
Uh-huh. Now, because would, would they're using they, the yeah. same imaging uh, modalities. So you see it on a mammogram, you want to use um, you want to use that same type of imaging modality to identify it on a biopsy because uh-huh. most of the stuff we're biopsying, Rhonda, you can't feel. Right. It's it's right. Uh, you know it is is all um, uh, based on imaging. So uh, and then ultrasound um, is a different type of of imaging um, strategy. And if you're going to do a core biopsy under ultrasound, it's something that you've seen under ultrasound or sometimes MRI. And uh, and you're using an ultrasound technology to do that. They're very different technologies. Mammography is actually using radiation. Hmm. And ultrasound uses sound waves, mm-hmm. and uh, so they're different. They're different types of, of imaging. They complement each other beautifully, um, but uh, it does allow us to have some variation um, in being able to do a core biopsy effectively. There are a handful of cases where an MRI-guided biopsy is used, but that's that is probably far more rare than the other two are very common. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that a little bit, and, and again, um, what's come up. Uh, in, in in my practice is that a number of women and have said that that they found something on a mammography then they went to the ultrasound and there was nothing there and then they did get an MRI and then they found things that were not seen anywhere mm-hmm. else what why MRI what would what would be a reason to to get an MRI well there you know each modality has its limitations Right. And uh, so if, mammar- if, if somebody comes in with some kind of question or symptom and nothing is seen on mammography, then um, they'll probably do an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And ultrasound can see things in a different way than, than mammography can. Each, like I said, each one has its limitations. If you can't see something under ultrasound but there is enough concern um, then uh, usually there'll there'll be uh, an MRI. Now MRI is using uh, magnetic, magnetic. Um, uh, uh, imaging that actually sort of changes around molecules. Uh, Whoa! And, and uh, well, it doesn't it, you know it it it, it uh, um, impacts molecules and how they they present, and so it shows a, it in a very different way. Yes. And uh, so it it affects it shows actually soft tissue really well uh-huh. and uh, so there are opportunities for each one of them depending mammography is the first step it is it is right. the uh, it is the most proven and uh, beneficial method in imaging a breast um, without question and then ultrasound is the next wave and then MRI as a rule so um, we're, we're talking about uh, when you say we found something, uh, we're looking at a calcification, we're looking at a tumor, what, what is it that we're finding? Okay, well, first of all, um, it's, if uh, a patient comes to their primary care provider and says they found a lump, whether they found it or their partner found it, um, there's something that they, they um, can actually feel, uh, then the primary care provider should do a breast exam and then refer them for some diagnostic imaging. Right. Um, and so, therefore, we're, when the patient comes in for a diagnostic mammogram, for example, we have an idea of what it is, that, where the location is, and, uh, um, and, and some history along those lines. Now, the thing about mammography that is cool as well as frustrating um, is right. that uh, every woman's breast is unique. Okay, uh, so it's a whole new anatomy every time you're you're looking at a mammogram. Uh, whereas with other parts of the body, there is a normal leg. Okay, so if you're looking at X-ray of uh, a leg, there's a normal and there's an abnormal. 
all right, uh, with a woman's breast, their prior exam is their normal. Uh-huh. And so you're, as a radiologist, they're reorienting themselves to what is normal for this woman. And so mammography is a comparative study. And so you want to be able to, to look at prior mammograms. So the, the, the history, and people always ask, where was your mammogram? Uh, it's important to know that information right. because uh, we would want to get those prior studies so that when you're looking at uh, a mammogram, the radiologist is orienting themselves to what is normal for you and what is abnormal. So they're, they're comparing it. Um, and, uh, and what they're comparing is, uh, you know, everything, background, scatter, um, and, uh, um, you know, density, which is a whole other topic we'll get into later. But um, mammography is very unique in that respect because it is the only, only um, body part that really has its individual normal. Hmm. So some women will have more cystic breasts, which may not be of a concern at all. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not looking at it as an individual, you might think that there's a problem. If it, you know, the fir- first mammogram oftentimes picks up things that you, a radiologist has to determine whether is this a problem or is this something that we want to review in six months to determine whether this is normal. Normal. Right. Um, so I think there's probably more recalls on a first mammogram uh, because huh. you have to determine what's normal for that person. Huh. It isn't. One of the things we do here on all of our mammograms at Eastern Maine Medical Center is we have uh, what we call CAD technology, and it's kind of a spell check for radiologists. Um, hmm. Basically, they read the, the mammogram, and when they've, they've come up with their, their conclusion, they'll hit a button. And basically, um, you know, thousands or millions, I don't know how many, uh, <laughs> of, of prior algorithms. Billions and billions. Have, uh, are part of this, and they will, will look at that mammogram and, and highlight areas for them to go back and look at to determine hmm. whether this is normal for this person or this may be something that they want to review again. Mm-hmm. And uh, CAD technology is, is, is a really nice opportunity to, like I said, do a spell check. And, huh. um, and so we do that on all of our mammograms so that there's sort of a, a second view, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. of every mammogram. But um, the truth is mammography does have its limitations. But yeah. one of the things that it's excellent at, and there's nothing else that compares, um, breast imaging is in the identification of calcifications. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of women um, have breast calcifications that's normal in their body, but when they start clumping together, uh, they start developing a pattern that is, is identified as concern. Those are microcalcifications. Um, then that is something that the radiologist will then raise a red flag. Um, uh-huh. It could be normal, um, but it also could be an early sign of a cancer. Mm-hmm. And so microcalcifications is one of those things on mammography that, um, uh, you know, they may not have gone to their primary care provider with a concern. They may be in for a regular screening mammogram. Right. And all of a sudden you see calcifications. And so that will start the ball going on mm. whether we need to do any additional imaging, uh, whether they need to have a biopsy, whether they need to see um, a breast specialist before a biopsy or have a biopsy and then see a breast specialist. All of those those options vary depending upon your primary care provider and the patient. Mm-hmm. But that's mammography. So... Um you know when you're um when you're you're talking about that now there's something about digital mammographies versus yeah. the, the, the maybe no, we I think t- most places down Maine have digital mammography it, is that less radiation or and then because these well, are radiation that when it's not 
Well, digital mammography, one of the things that, that digital mammography allows that uh, film screen mammography didn't is being able to enhance an image. Mm. Um, the radiologist can, you know, make it darker, lighter. They can magnify it a little better, et cetera. Uh, they can do some things with the image that you couldn't with just a straight film. So they have a little bit more ability to, to glean more information um, as a result of, of a dig- digital image over a, um, um, you know, a, a one-dimensional, so to speak, um, film, right? Uh, x-ray film. And so that, that really was, was huge for mammography. That was a big step That's in mammography. That's huge, yeah. And, uh, and, and did help with, uh, with reducing a lot of, of recalls, frankly, uh, because when you have just a straight uh, one-image film, um, it makes it uh, anything that is potentially a question, and you can't change the enhancement at all. You know, you have to bring somebody back. And so this allowed a lot more flexibility with that. And so digital imaging was was a big um, uh, and continues to be a, a big have a big impact on on mammography, uh, but pretty much I think every place in the state, um, if not there may be just a few left that uh, have not um, embraced and, and gone to digital mammography, um, and so it's really come a long ways in in, in the state of Maine. Uh, most women have access to digital mammography. The um, thing about digital that also is important. Um, and as a manager of a, of a breast center, um, you know, one of the things that I was doing a happy dance on also <laughs> is, uh, you know, it, it's like your original mammogram is a film, okay? Sure. You could reduplicate it, but it loses some of its impact in reduplication. Sure. Um, so, you know, by law, if somebody has a, uh, there's a problem, we needed to send originals because that's where you get the most information, right. original films. Well, guess what? There's always that potential that they're going to get lost. They're going to get damaged, and that is your medical record. That mm. was, you know, your, your best shot. And so um, having digital imaging where you can just download a disk and send it, and it's, right. and it's in, in the original status, uh, so to speak, is, right. is huge. Wow. Um, it's, 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 it's incredible to be able to know that your, your medical record's intact, um, and, and if this gets lost, you know, this isn't lost to the patient. So for me, um, that's, that's really important. had that added benefit. Sure. That incredibly uh, pleased to, to now, have. Do we have to be worried about the radiation? This became such a controversy, uh, you know, over the over the last many years. Um, how? What's your take on that? Well, I'm going to go by what our physicist tell us tells us. Okay. Okay. I'm not a radiation physicist. Right. I don't, I don't pretend to have that that level of knowledge. Or, or um, our radiation physicist has, has uh, stated that the amount of, of radiation you get on a mammogram uh, is about the equivalent of the scatter radiation you would get if you lived in Colorado for a month, mm. especially Boulder. I guess it's higher up. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, our prior physicist used to tell me it's also the same that you would get if you drove from Boston to uh, New York City, which I always attributed to the New, New Jersey Turnpike. But um, <laughs> <laughs> That's really not the best way to go, but uh, anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, my, no offense to anybody from New Jersey, but um, it is uh, it is equivalent to uh, scatter radiation that you would yeah. get um, just uh, from cosmic issues. So. Right. However, I, I did read that that it, it is still okay to ask to have your thyroid covered. Is that do, if, you, do you do that? If somebody wants to have their thyroid covered, by all means, that they can. 
Um, I think that that became a really big question for women when Dr. Oz had that on. Oh, did he? His, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, his uh, TV show at one point in time, and it sort of lost uh, lost its its impact. Don't necessarily. We haven't found that it really makes any any difference. We did have our physicists actually go in with a meter and and oh. register it. Uh, but nevertheless, if a patient wants that, by all means, we're more than happy to do it. Um, if they have a concern, we'd rather they not have a concern. Yes, and that's a very easy thing to do. That's is, an easy to cover thing. cover somebody right. with thyroid. So that's really a, a, an issue that we leave up to the patient if they're if they're interested. Right. In are, are you familiar with some of the heat technologies uh, of, of thermography? You mean? Yes. Thermography, um, I am. Mm -hmm. Thermography, uh, from a, a medical imaging standpoint, yes. uh, does not hold, I'm told, a lot of merit. Mm. Um, and one of the concerns about thermography is uh, that there is no way really to um, reproduce that so that it can be looked at from a, a medical standpoint. Mm. And uh, so, you know, uh, most radiologists, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a radiologist, so um, I'm going to share with what I know from our radiologists, sure. uh, don't hold a lot of merit into thermography. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, it is something that is out there. And uh, mm -hmm. um, if that's what somebody wants to do, then, uh, you know, it's up right. to them. Well, you know what, this is uh, the beginning of, of exploring, for me, for a series of exploring different ways of looking at, at breast tissue and such. So mm -hmm. there'll probably be more information on that and we can get perspectives from all, all, different, all different ways of looking, of looking in. Um, so, uh, but it, it, that's, that's interesting and we'll, you know, we'll keep that aside for a different program to, to explore more. But I, I want to certainly use your amazing expertise is, uh, of having all these years of experience with breast health and, and, and work with what you, what you work with best and, and, and I'm, you know, mm -hmm. most familiar with. Um, so when I just want to get back to, to some of the issues that some women may, may face, what would send somebody for an, an MRI? I mean, why, what would well, be a concern? Well, I guess uh, there, there are several things that might send someone for an MRI. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, if, if in a diagnostic world, yeah. um, there, if, if there's a clinical concern and it's not addressed, not answered in, in, uh, in a fashion that uh, everyone is comfortable with, um, then uh, through mammography and, and ultrasound, then they'll usually consider a recommend, uh, recommendation of MRI. I see. There's also MRIs are done with patients who have identified, gone through a, a risk, a clinical risk assessment for breast cancer, and they're identified as having high risk. Mm -hmm. um, they will go through routine screening uh, mammography as part of their their uh, surveillance program, but it may also in include a yearly MRI. And ah. uh, so that is is something that. Um, women will have an MRI for. If, in fact, someone's diagnosed with breast cancer, I think there are a lot of, of providers who will, will order an MRI um, just to make sure that uh, there is nothing that hasn't shown on any other modality before right. they do definitive surgery. Right. So, um, and then if there's a certain type of breast cancer that is, in fact, um, diagnosed, and, uh, and that is um, lobular breast cancer. And just so that you know, there are, I believe, five different types of breast cancer. And I definitely want to 
definitely want to get into that. But um, get, let me just uh, tell people who might have just tuned in that this is uh, Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman. This is WERU. And today our guest is Elaine Chambers. She's a registered nurse and the department head and nurse manager of the Breast and Osteoporosis Center at Eastern Maine Medical Center. We're obviously discussing breast cancer. And we were just getting into um, the idea of uh, different kinds of breast cancer. That, that's, that definitely is uh, important to talk about. So... Let me know what you, what 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 you're seeing in in your clinic there. Um, so, anyways, when we were talking about uh, MRI in um, you know, lobular uh, breast cancer, uh, lobular carcinoma, um, that is one that uh, frequently is uh, what we call an incidental finding or very subtle finding, mm. of mammography or ultrasound. And so, if you have that as a diagnosis then um, MRI is, is a method that they would want to um, include yeah. in your imaging, uh, uh, imaging schedule so that uh, it does have a, uh, an opportunity to, to make sure that, that both breasts have been um, imaged to their full capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that's another use of MRI. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so that uh, to answer your question on how how yes. who would go into uh, having an MRI, yeah, um, it really is looking at each individual individually with mm-hmm. each question that comes. Um, I think that's important to know that that really everybody coming into um, uh, a question of of a breast concern really has to start with their their health history, their breast history, and uh, imaging history, and uh, and then uh, a plan is developed from there that best suits what is going to answer that question. Mm. Right. So it is, then because everyone is an individual, you are really looking at this, uh, in this particular case, in the, this case in particular, as a, as a very individual uh, situation, mm-hmm. which, yeah. is a, which is a good thing, of course. Um, now, uh, things come up. We hear terms like DCIS, uh, Yes, maybe you can talk about the different ideas of whether what is cancer or what's not cancer or what what we're, what we see. And of course, with these more t- advanced technologies and diagnosis, you know, what is it that we're really seeing? Are, well, the, the the question in the field right now is 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 has been and is and is currently DCIS. DCIS is ductal carcinoma in situ. Right. That is a cancer that is um, identified in a duct has not spread outside of the duct and uh, uh, and there's a, a question that um, you know DCIS which DCIS uh, is going to spread and which DCIS is not going to mm-hmm. and uh, so you know the the question that is is difficult right now um, to address is some DCIS we know will probably not spread any further and others could um, end up being an aggressive form of a breast cancer. And uh, at this point in time, there's really no difference to be able to determine which is which. Mm. And so you treat them the same way. So there's there's a lot of discussion about over-treatment of DCIS, um, and, uh, but you have to also look at it from the other perspective of it could be under-treatment of DCIS. Right. And, uh, and until there is... Um, a clear way to determine that, Rhonda, uh, I think that you'll find most people and most, most physicians will, will always look at DCIS as a potential um, and therefore treat it versus mm-hmm. not treat it. 
Now, that said, um, you know, there is a lot of advances going on. Clinical research is incredibly important. Um, and breast cancer research uh, is uh, uh, a big factor in that. Uh, at Eastern Maine Medical Center in our cancer care program, we do have a very uh, robust uh, clinical uh, cancer uh, research program. Mm. In fact, uh, EMMC sits at the same table as many large uh, cancer centers mm. on the research um, end um, so that we're able to offer trials uh, for patients uh, that uh, they would receive at a large cancer institute. So a lot of people don't know that. No, I, I didn't know that. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, we also have uh, opportunities through our cancer care program uh, collaborations with Penn Bay Medical Center and uh, the Alfond Arena, uh, Alfond um, uh, Cancer Center. Right, so, in Augusta. So, uh, you know, there are some, some very um, different sites also. But I think one of the key things with, with cancer research is clinical trials and understanding um, what uh, what may be the best treatment of a a particular cancer because there are so many different types. But the other thing is also we have a a very active um, tissue banking and uh, blood banking uh, research um, project with Jackson Lab. And uh, that is another opportunity to be looking at research differently from uh, clinical trials. And uh, that is something that we're able to offer patients here, which is unique. It is is uh, an opportunity for uh, tissue that isn't going to be needed or used for any any um, uh, medical purpose um, after surgery to be donated to um, Jackson Lab. Uh, it usually goes out to Jackson Lab West out in, uh, in California. And oh. they use that with their... Um, um, uh, mice research and uh, are able to to look at different strains of breast cancer and uh, and research it and, I, and uh, on the basis of of genetics genomic um, um, interactions etc so that you can understand the cancer itself better and I think that is the key to uh, the future of of uh, looking at DCIS differently is understanding how the cancer um, uh, actually understanding what the cancer is and how it, it interacts and being able to identify different types of DCIS. So that's very interesting. I was going to ask you, I did read in the, in the literature about tissue banking, and, and I was going, that was just what I was going to ask you. What, what is that? So this is tissue that someone has been identified as having this DCIS or cancer, and then the tissue after surgery is sent, and, and this is to see how the cells react and well this actually doesn't do anything for the individual right but this uh, is and, uh, this is kind of it, a it, uh, it it allows okay. tissue for scientists to be able to then do research projects on right and um so it's it's anonymous tissue basically right. a patient you know basically uh, gives permission to do this and for you know to be honest with you for most women that's a real positive i would think it would be great because, yeah, because they're, they're looking get to they're, help they're actually helping the future. Sure. Uh, so, so, so you could start positive. seeing what is, what reacts, what did, doesn't, and we could mm-hmm. start differentiating that. You know what? You have this kind, and you know we don't need to do anything. You got it. And that's where that's where the future lies in being able to address the DCIS question. Right. Because right now, um, you know, personally as a woman, yeah. I would uh, choose to treat something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, because, you know, I don't know that it's not going to develop into something. And uh, so, and I think that's what, what, uh, 
what most uh, patients and physicians are facing and uh, with DCIS. So the question is out there. And DCIS also has different degrees, and one of the things that you're looking at when you're, um, when you're uh, um, evaluating um, uh, the information that you get from pathology is uh, all the other information that comes along with it. And, uh, you know, is it, uh, does it have um, uh, hormonal, positive hormonal receptors or negative and all those things that, you know, I'm not going to go into the efficacy of pathology, but nevertheless, there, there are a lot of things that go into that uh, question. And, uh, and I am not a physician, so uh, I, I really sure. want to go into those particular details. But there's a right. lot of information that, that uh, comes from pathology uh, at this point in time that is available to medical oncologists and surgeons as they make decisions for individual treatment. So, well, I was going to say that I, that I do understand that some genetic testing and such is being done uh, for treatment options. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that happening at, uh, at, at Eastern Maine? The, such, uh, you know, the, some, some of those things are, uh, are, are really important. What is oncotype genetic testing and those kinds of things? Yeah, which those things, are, as, as uh, uh, clinically in, uh, indicated, um, those things are happening, and a lot of patients are offered the opportunity for genetic counseling uh, because then it, it, if you don't, uh, you know, the patient has to determine whether they um, want genetic counseling and genetic testing. Uh, and then there are other tests that you would, do, you would want to do based on that particular cancer. But uh, genetic testing is uh, something that uh, could be very beneficial for families. And that's where you find the benefit of um, not just in the the treatment of the individual, but the benefit of being able to pass along to family members whether, you know, there is uh, a potential that a family member may carry the, uh, you know, uh, BRCA um, uh, uh, genetic um, component and therefore um, may be in a high-risk uh, situation and may then be able to go on to a high-risk uh, surveillance program. Let's, um, let, let's just back up a second because this is, this is so interesting. Now, so there are different aspects of genetic testing, and people have starting to be hearing about it, and I know that there was a huge article in the New York Times about this just over the weekend. Did you, did you happen to see that no, one? No, I didn't. It's about as, you can tell me what it was. <laughs> I will. It's about um, they're, they're saying that in Israel... Um, we're, start, we're talking about um, now medical history, cultural history, genetic history, mm-hmm. um, that it has one of the highest uh, rates of breast cancer. And that they're talking about uh, a particular Ashkenazi, Eastern yeah. European Jewish population. Um, and they also talk about African-American women as well. But in this particular article, they were talking about whether to make it standard to do some of the genetic testing. This is before pre-anybody possibly having any mm-hmm. cancer. Um, I'm also wanting to differentiate that from a genetic testing, for, like the oncotype, which is what you would do after you're diagnosed, possibly after surgery, to see what chemotherapy might mm-hmm. be useful and um, making decisions about treatment. So that we're differentiating between different... Yeah. There's different ways, and which is, I, I, I think, in terms of... Uh, since things haven't changed in terms of treatment that's kind of amazing that we can actually have something now that you can say well you know for your type of cancer 
we want to do treatment, and this particular chemotherapy is going to be important for you. One of the things that people don't understand uh, oftentimes the, is, is breast cancer does vary in the type of breast cancer, and therefore the treatment recommendations vary. Yes. Also, what you would recommend for different stages, um, right. and uh, which means you know how progressed is the cancer, and uh, what type of involvement does it have? Um, you know, axillary nodal involvement, lymph node involvement. Yes, um, there are a lot of things that go into determining um, cancers, but one one of the, the greatest benefits from cancer research has been in being able to identify different types of chemotherapy chemo, um, types of, of, of combinations that may impact uh, and affect different types of breast cancer um, better. And so we're looking at individualizing um, breast cancer treatment. So the days of your neighbor having breast cancer and having one type of treatment and, uh, you know, you having uh, breast cancer and a certain type of treatment, uh, the chances of them being the same are very slim Mm -hmm. because uh, it really is a very individualized uh, type of approach. Uh, And, uh, but as far as one of the things that has a lot of potential is in understanding genetics and understanding DNA and being able to hopefully identify more and more individuals that are truly at risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that uh, they can be monitored more closely, and uh, of course the, the whole thing with Angelina Jolie coming out right. um, not too long ago um, was uh, a real boost in people understanding that you know breast cancer risk factors and uh, um, you know can play a um, uh, a big part in determining how you how aggressively you manage your own health care. Mm-hmm. And in her case, with with um, uh, the family history that she had and the termination and, and that she carried the, the BRCA uh, gene, that uh, this was something she chose to do. Whether somebody chooses to do that with that information would be an individual choice. But the important thing is it's a choice. Right. And, and it's an informed choice. Right. And some people would do continued screenings, mm-hmm. maybe. And, and that's where MRIs would be uh, useful. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, so it's all starting. Yes. Now, um, and, and I think one of the things we t- discussed uh, when we first met, uh, as it were, is that breast cancer is not a death sentence uh, no. as, as much as it used to be. Yeah. Now, the, the, the nice thing that, that I can say of having been in this industry for as long as I have um, is I've seen such incredible changes. And uh, when I first started 22 years ago, you know, most of the questions that we have um, coming in for diagnostics was as a result of a a fairly large, you know, um, uh, palpable mass or a lump that was found. And, uh, um, you know, it was, you could always say that very rarely did you find something that was um, at a really early stage, a DCIS stage, that was mm. um, that was more in the minority. What you found found in the majority was stage two, three, and four cancers, wow. and uh, and so you know the um, the options change in regards to treatment. The impact on long, on your life and uh, changes, and uh, um, so death, breast cancer had a. Um, a different type of sentence, so to speak, whether it was a death sentence or, or a shorter lifespan, et cetera. Um, as we've seen um, so many advances, and it really has been a multiple-prong advancement, uh, screening mammography advancement has been huge um, because more people getting screened earlier, you find things earlier. That just goes without saying. And uh, But also the, um, uh, the change in treatment and understanding of breast cancer 
and how to manage it has been uh, enormous also in improving uh, the odds of, of survival. And, uh, and that's really what the, the bottom line is. And not only just survival, but quality of life. And uh, so, you know, we're finding that people that, that have uh, breast cancer um, are living, uh, you know, have a, have a much higher um, rate of, of survival. And it really has become, in many cases, cancer in general has become a chronic disease versus um, a terminal disease. If you understand what I mean? I do. I do. And uh, people are living with, with uh, the history of breast cancer um, and uh, having a very full and active life. So the the question, of course, is, uh, is there really more cancer or are we just able to diagnose more of it? <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's, you know, with a chicken or egg. For right, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't think anybody really can tell you the true answer on that, except that, you know, we are um, finding more of it and yes. we're finding more at an earlier stage and therefore having a, a, a greater impact right. on, on, uh, on, on lifespan. That is, not que- that is not a question. That's a fact. That's a fact. Um, but the, you know, then that brings up issues of the DCIS, which you know, you're always going to have mm-hmm. to look at issues um, and uh, determine what is, how aggressively you treat stuff. And those, are, those actually are better questions to have, frankly, mm. <laughs> than the questions we had in the past. <laughs> So, uh-huh. you know, there are, there are a whole lot of, of new options for women. In surgery, there are new options, lumpectomy, um, you know, uh, reconstructive surgery has taken huge leaps and bounds. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just is, it's a fascinating field when you look at all the options that are out there that a woman may have a choice of, depending upon the type of cancer and the and, and, uh, uh, surgery. So- so I, I, there are uh, so many follow-up questions, so many, so many uh, ways to go uh, with this. But while we're thinking about that, I do want to tell people again who've just uh, tuned in, we're speaking with Elaine Chambers. She's the department head and nurse manager of the Breast and Osteoporosis Center at Eastern Maine Medical Center. I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to Healthy Options here on Community Radio on WERU. Our topic, of course, is breast cancer. Now, um, you know, with all this research, and there's, there's, uh, there, there is the idea of prevention and cure uh, is still is still out there, right? We're, oh we're, my gosh, yes. I mean, you know, ultimate goal for everybody is is uh, cure yes. and prevention. Right. I mean, those are both uh, those are both uh, the the ultimate goals, and um, I think for for most women who have ha- have been impacted with breast cancer. Yes. Uh, they're probably uh, of equal value because, you know, uh, obviously cure, you want to be able to live your life and, and, and be there. Uh, but prevention also helps, you know, your loved ones, mm-hmm. maybe your children, your grandchildren, et cetera. So um, a future generation. So I think that uh, uh, for women who are impacted with breast cancer, there is, is a heightened importance in both. I think for our, our society in general, um, you know, prevention is always uh, going to be the, the, the best possible way we can look at any kind of disease. I mean, mm. look at, at polio, for example. Um, you know, you could, you could treat it, and, uh, but uh, when it actually came out with a vaccine that could prevent it was, was what was, that was um, kind the, of the unbelievable impact. Yeah, 
So, so prevention is always going to be in in, in healthcare. The the um, you know the the, the brass the gold ring that you try to grab. Right. For. Um, I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping, and people will have on their minds too. How, are these diagnostic tests uh, covered under insurance? What about the Affordable Care Act? What are you finding? Uh, it, how's that going to change well, in, in your work? Right now, um, the uh, uh, you know, first of all, mammography is is an accepted standard of screening, and uh, and so insurance companies and and uh, um, uh, most plans that I've seen for affordable care um, include you know the the acceptable screenings, and mammography is one of those. Um, and uh, diagnostic testing, again, diagnostic testing is is covered by most insurances. Uh, the the issue is really the um, uh, the question, and uh, was this the best approach? And uh, so, when you get into the high priced exams like MRI, et cetera, it's justification. Uh huh. So. And uh, so, MRI is a screening tool. Um, you know, if you don't want to pay for it out of pocket, then uh, really the the question has to to be to be valid. And uh, so. Um, for example, right now, MRI is covered if you're identified as uh, being in a high-risk category through a, a, a um, screening program, a cancer oh. screening program. And so, and, that's and that why would we, be family history? Or? Right. Yeah, there, there, there are, there's a whole bunch of criteria that go into that. But that's why we, we say that, uh, you know, if somebody can be put into a high-risk surveillance program, then MRI by most, place, most companies, insurance companies, is covered. Uh-huh. with that kind of, of clinical indication. So, and that hasn't changed in anything that I've seen. Okay. Um, I, 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 I don't know the future, but um, right. from what I've seen anyways, that's okay. the same. But, you know, everybody's concerned about, about their spending their health care dollars, and, sure. and I'm no different than anybody else. And so, you know, those are, are good questions to always ask right. and, uh, um, and, and determine. But it's more about uh, the appropriate clinical reasons for having it. Right. So sometimes diagnostic uh, is versus preventative is, uh, mm-hmm. is it might be a question that right. we have to, we have to ask on, on that, uh, on that channel of, of uh, financial mm-hmm. wellness as well. So you have to, you have to make the decision, your decisions based on what you feel. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, it all goes back to, to educating people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that there, there can never be enough um, education. Women can never know enough about um, uh, their own body, what to be looking for, um, and taking some responsibility on that. I'm a firm believer in, in patient education. And uh, early detection, part of an effective early detection program in anything is, you know, understanding what, what uh, the signs and symptoms are. So what, 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 would, uh, what would should people be looking for since we already said a lot of these are not felt? Well, the, the flip side is, you know, you can only control what you know. <laughs> and right. uh, so for, for I'm a, a real strong proponent of doing self-breast exams. Okay. And, and starting that at a, at a younger age, your breasts change as you age. And, and, and uh, you know, there are a lot of changes that go through. But if you know what your breasts uh, are normally and, uh, or your partner, um, mm-hmm. then uh, when something comes up as a question, uh, you can share that right away with your health care provider. Um, it's amazing how many things that, that get people come up with questions. And many are fine. And then some are not. 
Right. And uh, so it's always nice if you can, you know, know that, that there's something happening. If you're seeing your primary care provider once a year, or once every two years, um, you know, it, you, you kind of have to be um, aware of your own body in between. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm a strong, strong uh, fan of uh, women understanding what, what, uh, uh, what is important to be looking at uh, when you're doing a, a breast self-exam. Okay. And that information and education is available to women. Um, the uh, next step is choosing a, a primary care provider that, um, you know, is, is someone who is going to uh, also uh, be doing the appropriate uh, uh, screening exams and, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, most primary care providers now do uh, a very good job of, of looking at all of those things age appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next step is anything that you can do from um, uh, a screening um, testing process. So that brings in screening mammography. It is a three-prong approach, Rhonda. It's not right. one only. Right. And if you're not looking at uh, age-appropriate screening mammography, you're not looking at, 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 at a clinical breast exam and, and, and doing a self-breast exam, then you're, you're eliminating one important prong. So what what is the difference in women's breasts and when they're under thirty and when they're over thirty? What well, you uh, mentioned that before. Um, uh, when you're younger, your breasts um, have more hormonally active tissue, um, and uh, and as a result, that hormonally active tissue on a mammogram um, shows up as sort of a whiteout. It's uh-huh. harder to see things. Mm-hmm. Fat um, replaces hormonally active tissue as we age. And so um, mammography has often been viewed as a better tool as women, has gotten, as women have gotten older because fat replaces that and fat it visualizes beautifully with mammography. I see. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it, uh, um, it's one of those, those um, uh, benefits of aging. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, but mammography is a, is a better tool um, that way. When things show up in, in that sort of whiteout um, fashion, it's harder for, it's easier for things to hide. Uh, yes. And uh, so, therefore, um, if there is something that is concerned, you know, mammography is considered, ultrasound is also considered. Right. And okay. uh, ultrasound is a great um, diagnostic tool, particularly when you can identify uh, an area or a quadrant of the breast to look at. Because ultrasound, I'll give you an example, is, is like taking a pen light into a dark room and saying there's a button on the floor, find it. Um, you know, you can scan and scan and scan and scan and scan and not see it, but if somebody tells you that it's in the left corner or the back of the room, uh, somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, three feet away from a wall, yes. you're going to look and look and look and you're going to find it. Right. And uh, ultrasound is actually very, very good, particularly with, with uh, defined um, locations. Mm-hmm. And so mammography and ultrasound work very well together. And uh, some things that, that will show up as, as for example, a, a density on a uh, mammogram, uh, if you do an ultrasound, that could be a cyst, and therefore there isn't anything to be concerned about. Mm. Um, and, and the good thing about ultrasound is it shows whether something is fluid-filled or solid. Uh-huh. And so they, they really work in tandem so a lot of times. fluid-filled we're less concerned about than something solid? Well, fluid-filled, uh, it depends on... Right. on, on um, does it 
does it look like it's it's fluid filled with maybe some some particles in it, um, i.e. a complex cyst, or is it strictly a cyst? It's easy to to look at something and determine it's fluid filled uh, or it's not, and then do we need to stick a needle in it? Right. And uh, with the cyst, it's very easy. They can put a needle in it, aspirate the fluid, and it's gone. Right. You take another image and you see it's gone, and therefore the the issue is gone. Right. Very rarely are cysts of a concern from a breast cancer standpoint. Okay. okay. And uh, and so you know sometimes it's a very easy question to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are sometimes a lump, some types of lumps that are frankly not cancerous um, that you know you get back in pathology and you're real happy about. Um, right. because, you know, that is a definitive diagnosis for someone and they can not worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good, good to know. You know, there, uh, we, we have about 10 minutes left and, and even a little less than that, and there's so much more to discuss, so we'll have to have you back, I think, <laughs> at some point. But um, I'm, I'm wanting to discover uh, what, what would be the most beneficial, and it, it, we did at some point talk about the genetic testing and the, we used the words BRCA1 and BRCA2. BRCA2 what, yeah, what, yeah. What, maybe we could discuss... BRAC, BRAC1. Maybe we could d- describe what that is so that our listeners can see if that's well, something of it's determining issue whether for them. there is a, um, a simplistically, uh, there is uh, a genetic, uh, there's a gene that you may carry that increases your risk significantly for developing breast cancer. And uh, so, you know, Having uh, that test and determining that um, is very important in determining, and in, in you as the patient, determining whether you want to do anything aggressively or not, um, i.e. the Angelina Jolie um, question. Right. The uh, flip side is uh, there are very few people that actually carry that. So uh-huh. um, it, isn't, um, it isn't something that's incredibly prevalent. Um, and so that uh, testing is really done when there are, when there is um, uh, appropriate uh, history to determine that this could be a consideration. And that's when you start looking at a uh, uh, number of, of uh, first-degree relatives and uh, uh, ages in which they're diagnosed. And there are a lot of, lot of pieces that go into taking a, a, um, a genetic history. And, and determining things, and I'm not a geneticist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what's important, again, is knowing your family history, knowing your health history, and um, uh, sharing that uh, with your provider mm-hmm. because that's what helps determine whether you could be considered at high risk. Right. Now, there is a difference between the one and two. Is that just a different gene and it, and it triggers different right. types right. of cancer yeah. or different areas? What, what, what is well, the... it's a different gene. And, uh, and mm-hmm. so really, again, they both do show the same, same issue, whereas you would be at a higher risk for breast cancer. I see. Okay. So it's yeah. just a DNA difference, and, and, uh, but both of them are concerned. Are, are of concern. Yep. Great. Um, we are speaking, by the way, with Elaine Chambers. She is the nurse manager and department head of the Breast and Osteoporosis Center at Eastern Maine Medical Center. We're discussing all aspects of uh, diagnostics and screenings for, for breast cancer. You did mention um, just in the last few minutes that uh, that we did that we have more options for treatment. We talked a little bit about some genetic testing that can be done if you have it and, and that can pinpoint what what chemotherapies, if that's appropriate, would be appropriate. Um, you talked about lumpectomy. What, and, and maybe you could, we hear this all the time, but that is where you're not removing the whole breast, right? You're just removing what? 
Right. You're removing basically an affected part of the breast, um, so uh, a section of the breast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so there, the, the minimally, uh, uh, minimal surgery, um, and therefore, you know, a lot of people, they're able to keep their breast intact. And uh, so also the degree of lumpectomy. I mean, a surgeon will, will sit down with a patient and talk about, you know, lumpectomy and radiation is, is the, the um, you know, a, a standard of care when it's, when it's possible because uh, it really does um, save uh, unaffected tissue. Now, there are a lot of women out there that may choose mastectomy because they want to have reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or they uh, choose mastectomy because they don't want to have radiation for a lot of different reasons. Right. Um, so there are a lot of there are a lot of choices, and and probably the most important thing, a woman who's newly diagnosed with breast cancer, is is having that cancer talk with your surgeon. Uh, they will go over all different types of options that are best for you, because your particular breast cancer may not be conducive to a lumpectomy with a good outcome. And uh, it may be uh, more appropriate for a mastectomy. Um, you know, there are different things, and, and then the patient's choice comes into play and in what, um, what is possible and what isn't possible from a surgical standpoint. But uh, there are so many different types of, of, of opportunities for women. Some, peop- some you have a lot of choices in, and some of the choices made by the type of cancer and stage that, it, that it's diagnosed at. Um, and so the, the importance is having a very, um, uh, a very intense and significant conversation with your surgeon about all the options that are presented to you. What is, what is I know we only have a few minutes left, but what, what is staging? People hear that. What? Staging is basically, it, it, it determines the size of the tumor and therefore the uh, invasion and, and potential impact that it will have um, uh, in regards to... Um, um, Hello? Oh. Regards to, uh, sorry about that. Oh, no, no, it's okay. To, um, uh, we love dead air on radio. It's <laughs> think, Take all the time you want, Elaine, really. And, <laughs> and basically, uh, uh, the, how terminal a cancer is. Um, yes. You know, stage four cancer is a very progressed cancer. It, uh, it needs to be treated aggressively. Um, it has um, uh, a very serious uh, potential outcome. And, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, you're looking at, at a treatment that's uh, it's already in, in, in involved in, in other areas of the of the body, mm-hmm. um, or potentially there and will be. And so that there there are different types of, of stages that also impact different types of treatment. Right. Uh, so of course, uh, stage zero or stage one are the two. It's, it's where most, we want to see you. Most <laughs> areas that you want to be in because you have the most options at that point. Great. Um, as you progress and the tumor has, is is spread and is larger, et cetera, then your options decrease. Thank you. Well, we'll have to leave it there. As I said, many, many more things to discuss. And I think that was good. We, we got that in right at the last second. Thank you, Elaine. Oh, you're welcome. Um, we have been listening. You have been listening to Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. Thank you so much to Elaine Chambers, the nurse manager and department head of the Breast and Osteoporosis Center at Eastern Maine Medical Center for being our guest today. For more information, we'll get some numbers and we'll... Um, We'll have some information on the website as well where you can find out more information. I want to thank Amy Brown for engineering, Petra Hall for production assistance, and thanks always to uh, all of 
our WERU supporters. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll get all sorts of contact information. And uh, and uh, in the future, it will be online. You can listen to this online, and you can also, it'll be archived. So thank you so much, and be well. Support for WERU Health Relations.